Welcome to Blog and May Blog from DougWills.com. This audio is brought to you by Canon Press. As promised, there is a brand new release in the Christian Heritage series, George Herbert's collection of poetry, The Temple, with a fantastic introduction by John Piper. Although he was a pastor of a small remote church in Elizabethan England, George Herbert came to fame because of a small collection of poems titled The Temple. In this short but beautiful collection of poetry, Herbert devised 116 new poetic forms to capture his experiences of awe, sorrow, glory, turmoil, repentance, and heart-rending joy, all of it dedicated to God. In this book, we have a picture of the full range of human experience and emotion, felt by a man being sanctified by God and describing it with all of his poetic powers. Get George Herbert's The Temple with a foreword from John Piper today at canonpress.com. The Lie of Servant Leadership March 11, 2020. Introduction. So little something happened a few days ago, and I thought it was of such a nature that it required a little extra comment. And so here I am, as helpful as ever. The good folks at Canon Press posted a clip from our Man Rampant show on Amazon, and it sort of chummed the water. The clip was at 50K views as of yesterday, and if my hunch is to be credited, a bunch of people probably thought we were objecting to the word servant when we were actually objecting to something else. What is that something else? Gather round, and I will tell you. The Jesus Way It would be very easy to react to a clickbait title like The Lie of Servant Leadership, assuming that we are somehow going after the concept of being a servant. This would be a big mistake, because having a servant's heart is a sine qua non of Christian discipleship. The real problem is found in that word leader. I could prove seven ways to Sunday and back that husbands are supposed to have that adjective servant in front of their title. But what title do husbands actually have? And where did this pestilent word leader come from? And incidentally, I'm not approving of clickbait, but you have to recognize that we live in tumultuous times when all you have to do is tell the truth and they think it's clickbait. Grass is green, said the troubler of Israel. And he wasn't sorry afterwards either. So let's consider the Ur text for all of this that place being where Jesus washed his disciples' feet, John 13, 12-15. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that ye should do as I have done to you. We can all see here the important acts of Christ stooping, wiping, drying, performing the functions that a slave would ordinarily perform. And this is part of the shock. It is so glaringly and shockingly obvious. Jesus is Lord, and he washed the disciples' feet. So we all know what Jesus did. But what did he say right after he did it? Read that text again. You call me Master and Lord. You say, well, for so I am. He was a servant master. He was a servant Lord. He did not use his service to erase his lordship, but rather to define it. Why do we find it so easy to speak of servant leadership, but we would choke on something like servant lordship? So the first lesson in Christianity 101 is learning to say amen to the radical demand for sacrificial and bleeding service. 
This is the calling of every Christian. It is not the case that only 30% of us have to take up our cross daily and follow Him. We must all do it. And if we must all do it, then this includes every Christian who occupies any position of authority whatever. Admirals, shift managers, governors, presidents, parents, umpires, mayors, CEOs, chairmen, and husbands. And they must do this without relinquishing their authority. How could they relinquish their authority when they are, in fact, establishing it? Proverbs 20.28 says in the KJV, Mercy and truth preserve the king, and his throne is upholden by mercy. The ESV says steadfast love and faithfulness preserve the king, and by steadfast love his throne is upheld. And we are not left to infer that a husband's authority over his wife is established in this way. We are told it explicitly. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Ephesians 5.25 Of course, Christian husbands are to be servant somethings. But servant what? They are called to lordship, rule, authority. And no, not like the Gentiles. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Matthew 20, 25, and 26. Rulers and Leaders So what could be wrong with the term leader? We need to start by recognizing that in many cases, and in many places, nothing is wrong with it. Many Christians simply use that word to describe the general authority structure for the home that Scripture outlines, and so there's no need to quarrel over words. If the thing is there, then how we describe it is of less importance. At the same time, we must recognize that a number of substantive changes have been smuggled into modern life by means of seemingly innocuous changes in how we speak of things. So we must consider what C.S. Lewis considered as, quote, a deeply significant change of vocabulary, close quote as he was speaking of how we have exchanged our rulers for leaders. This is from uh, Descriptione Temporum, an, uh, an address he gave at Cambridge. Quote, Our rulers have become like schoolmasters and are always demanding keenness. And you notice that I'm guilty of a slight archaism in calling them rulers. Leaders is the modern word. I've suggested elsewhere that this is a deeply significant change of vocabulary. Our demand upon them has changed no less than theirs on us. For of a ruler, one asks justice, incorruption, diligence, perhaps clemency. Of a leader, dash, initiative, and I suppose, what people call magnetism or personality. Rulers must possess character, for they are called to apply an objective rule to the situation they have responsibility for. There's a standard outside themselves, a constitution or bylaws or the tradition or navy regs, and they are responsible to the standard and for their people. Leaders, on the other hand, must possess personality, charisma, or what Lewis failed to call razzle-dazzle. They are responsible to their followers. There's no fixed standard to which everyone must submit, and so the husband can only be the leader so long as he maintains the requisite charm. And then if you combine this underlying understanding of leadership with the adjective servant, what happens is that the husband comes under the authority of the wife. This is a very different thing from him loving her under the authority and example of Christ. The home has become a democracy, and she is the voting electorate. Easy divorce has made recall elections a snap, and now many husbands are trying to navigate their marriages in a time when everything has gone crazy. He cannot depend on an outside cultural support anymore. How could he? The outside culture doesn't even know anymore which one is the husband and which one is the wife. And you can't help them by pointing out which one had the babies 
because they will simply reply that husbands can have babies. Only a hater would deny that. So in this climate, solid Christian marriages are those in which both husband and wife, regardless of what the culture outside is doing, read their Bibles, and both understand that the husband is called to rule in the home, according to Scripture, and the wife is to submit to her own husband, as to the Lord. I speak as a madman. His rule is to be imitative of the Lord Jesus, which means that he will not be a tyrant, but rather one who bleeds for others. 